Hey guys, this is Dylan with the Scripture Chronicles. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you guys are blessed by the show, it would really help out the show if you went on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and left a review on there, or if you told your friends, shared us on Facebook, anything like that. This show is completely paid for out of our own pockets. If you guys would like to support the show financially, you can now do so via our Patreon page. You can access that via our website, thebibleisastory.com, and clicking on Donate, or go directly to Patreon, patreon.com slash scripturechronicles is the Patreon page. If you guys have any questions, email us, scripturechronicles at gmail.com. And if you guys want to stay up to date with the most real-time information, Facebook is the best place to do that. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scripture Chronicles, the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. I'm Dylan, and joining me today is Corey. What the heck happened to your beard? You guys at home, this is crazy. We both showed up on Skype when we both shaved our beards. I think there's something really strange happening. Like, this is like twin type of stuff, but we're not twins. I don't think we are, at least. Guys, thank you for tuning into the show today. Uh, today, we are going to be jumping into Genesis chapter 16 and be going through chapter 19. But before we do that, as always, our brief recap of what we've gone over so far before that, my normal disclaimer, if you have not yet listened to the episode before this one, I would highly recommend going back, listening to that one first, and then jumping into this one. It'll just give you the context. All of these episodes build on each other. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. I do recommend starting at the beginning if possible, but if you do not have time, here's your quick 30-second recap. So last week, we talked about a key character that we couldn't keep the name straight, Abraham or Abram or who the heck was that guy? One or the other. I'm sure it was one. Anyway, we asked the question, is this guy the guy? You know, the guy from Genesis 3 where God said, hey, woman, I'm going to bring from you a seed and that seed is going to crush the head of the snake. So we're asking the question, is, is this Abram, Abraham? It's still unclear. Is that guy the guy? And so far, the answer is, is probably not. Corey gave us spoilers and saying he thinks the guy is Jesus. We'll uh, we'll see about that. But anyway, Abraham or Abram, as he is first introduced, comes onto the scene and he gets this promise from God where God says, hey, Abram, I want you to leave your land or of the Chaldees. I want you to leave your family and I want you to go to the land that I am going to show you. And if you do that, I am going to bless all of the nations of the world through you. And so you get, once again, this idea of the blessing. Now, before we go any further, let us emphasize this idea of the blessing. We're going to be referring to this as the capital T blessing, meaning it's the blessing that we're we're seeing come from Genesis 1 all the way through, where the blessing is be fruitful and multiply. That's the original blessing that God gives to humanity. And that blessing is going to consistently be a theme throughout Genesis and Torah as a whole. So we're going to see that theme once again, coming up here where God says, Hey, Abram, do this. 
and I will make you a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations of the world. So that's the, the starting point for last week's episode. And then you see going through that where you get this idea of the blessing is under tension. There's a bunch of things that constantly happen that make you go, oh, no, is this blessing actually going to happen? And so the first thing is you get Abraham go to freaking Egypt. Well, what do we know from Egypt or about Egypt so far? Well, we know that the name Egypt means oppressor, so that's bad. And if you think forward in the story a little bit, you also know that, well, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, and Egypt just generally isn't a good character or nation or people group in the Bible. So he goes to Egypt. That's bad. He lies about Sarah being his wife. That's bad. But then God miraculously delivers him, uh, and you're going to see that consistently happen. Again, Lot and Abraham get in a fuss. They say, well, we're going to have to separate. So Abram looks at Lot and says, hey, Lot, take anywhere. Go anywhere you want, and I'll go wherever you're not. And once again, you're going, oh, no. Didn't didn't God say that this land is going to be Abram's land? What if what if Lot picks that land? Fortunately for us, Lot doesn't. He picks Jordan, and Abram gets to stay in the land that God promised. God once again reaffirms his promise to Abraham, or Abram in this case, through a covenant. So we get the first of two covenants that we're going to see in chapter 15, where God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, talking about him giving Abram the land. And then we see that God puts Abram into a deep sleep and actually promises to fulfill the covenant himself. Usually how a covenant would work is you have two parties promise to fulfill their sides of the bargain. So you get party A say, hey, if you do this, I'll do this. And then you say the other party, party B, hey, if you do that, I'll do this. Both parties shake on it. And if one party fails, then the covenant is null and void. In this case, God knocks Abram Abram out and says, I'm going to do it all. So we should be having that in the back of our mind going, okay, God is going to do everything for this covenant. We're going to be paying attention to that. Now, marching into today, we still have this idea of the capital T blessing, and we're going to be seeing how that blessing is going to be played out throughout today's narrative. Cord, do you have anything to add to that recap? Yeah, that's a great recap. That's that's everything. Why didn't we just say that last week? We could have saved so much time. We just left off in chapter 15 was a really high note. Um, and so we're going to leave off of that high note of God making the covenant with Abram, this unconditional covenant that Abram cannot mess up in. And the very next story is in chapter 16. So why don't we just get started in it? Um, And so chapter 16, verse 1 starts like this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, 
May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Yeah. You know, Corey, before you jump into explaining this, I just wanted to point out, I really like it when you read. You just got such a great reading voice, and it always comes out so nice and clear and fluently. Yes. Yeah. Now that's probably not going to be the case for the rest of the episode. Is that right? Yeah, now I'm going to choke. I'm going to have to call uh, my elementary school teacher and tell her what you said. Um, But yeah, so going into this scene, we should be kind of tipped off to some familiar language um, and some familiar scenes. One, we shouldn't be surprised that the people that God has chosen to be his blessing and his covenant people, they fail. So we just had this really high note, chapter 15, chapter 16, they blow it. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you a son. Hey, let's take this into our own hands. Abram, do this terrible thing to my servant. It's like, what? This is terrible. So the last time we saw someone take two wives was the evil Lamech from Cain's line. He took his two wives and then bragged to them about how he had just killed a man. Okay, some other um, hyperlinks to earlier places in scripture. Um, We see that Sarai comes up with this plan, and we see Abram then listen to his wife. This is going right back to Genesis chapter 3, where Eve is talking with the serpent. Eve is tempted and falls into the temptation, then gives the fruit to her husband. So, same thing is happening here. And if we weren't getting red flags raised at that, um, at the end of this passage that we just read, we see Abram talking to Sarai, and she was all upset because of Hagar's contempt against her, and that's another point in just a second. But still in Genesis chapter 3, hyperlink, um, we see Abram telling Sarai, because she upset, um, do to her as you pleased. Or the Hebrew uses that word for good, tov, that we saw earlier, as in like the tree of good and bad, the tree of tov and ra. Um, so do what is good in your eyes. The Hebrew word for eyes is ayin, pretty close to eyes, kind of easy to remember that way. So we, we see here, do what's right in your eyes. Just as when Eve was tempted by the serpent, she saw that the fruit was good or delightful to her eye. So we see Sarai given permission to do what's good in her eyes. And remember, that that's the big predicament that people are faced with. Now that they are like God and have wisdom like God, are they going to rely on their own wisdom, doing what's right in their own eyes? Or are they going to rely on God's wisdom and doing what is right in God's eyes. Right? So there's some other uh, links and points to this story, right, Dylan? Yeah, there are. One that is going to be of significance is, remember what I said in the recap, regarding Egypt, Egypt being a bad place, Egypt being a bad 
name. It means oppressor. Well, when Sarai decides to give her servant to Abram, well, it specifically states Abram took Hagar, the Egyptian Sarai's servant. So all of a sudden, not only do you have the fact that, well, you get two wives, this is a reference back to Lamech, like Corey pointed out, with the first being the first character to have two wives in the text, and also being a reference back to Genesis chapter two and three with the fall. But this is also a big red flag in itself going, hey, this character is not only not supposed to be the one that is the wife who's going to bring the promised heir, but she's also an Egyptian representing the very people who are going to actually cause the Israelites so much grief in the future, which is pretty wild to me. Yeah, so here we have Israel through Abram and Sarai oppressing Egypt via Hagar. So it's a little foreshadow of a reversal of oppression and it kind of gives reason for this reversal of oppression um, for when Egypt does oppress the Israelites to come. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, yes, yeah, tons of hyperlinks here looking backwards and looking forwards. And so we're going to move on. Oh, one last thing I want to point out is that Hagar shows contempt to her mistress. And now we're going to see her be dealt with harshly. One thing that Dylan pointed out as we were preparing for this is that the blessing of Abraham in Genesis 12 is whoever will bless you, I will bless, says the Lord, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So we're going to see Hagar kind of receiving both, but so she kind of curses her mistress and she's going to be somewhat cursed, but yet somewhat blessed. It's a really interesting story. So let's let's read on in verse seven. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well, the well was called Be'er Lahai Ro'i. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Awesome. And like Corey already pointed out, this is kind of an example of both the cursing and the blessing that is going to come upon an individual or a group of individuals who blesses or curses Abram. So in verse four, it talks about how 
Hagar had contempt for her mistress, Sarai. And so because she had contempt, Sarai actually starts dealing negatively with her, which is kind of a, a, an image of that she's going to be cursed. Moreover, as soon as Hagar flees from Sarai, she ends up in the wilderness, theoretically heading back to Egypt, the land of her people. So in a weird reversal, instead of having people come from Egypt to the promised land, as we saw in Abraham earlier in last week's episode, and as we're going to see in the Israelites in future episode, Hagar actually is cursed such that she has to leave the land of promise and the family of promise. She goes into the wilderness and is theoretically on her way back to Egypt. So it's a weird reversal of circumstances, but as soon as she meets the Lord and he says, you go back and submit to Sarai and she agrees to do so, the Lord swaps this around and blesses her. So again, if you curse Abram, you're going to receive cursings. If you bless Abram, you're going to receive blessings. And that's exactly what we see here. Here we also see a, a big character introduced in the angel of Yahweh. Last week, we briefly said that when we see all caps, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the personal name for Yahweh revealed in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. So here we have the angel of Yahweh coming to meet Sarai. And interesting, in this encounter, um, we see... Um, the way that the text speaks of the angel of Yahweh, the way that Hagar speaks of the angel of Yahweh, it's as though she's talking to Yahweh himself. And so we see the angel of Yahweh give this promise and kind of a blessing to her, which is you know, a blessing in which she will have a multitude of children and then the poetry section is Ishmael is going to be a donkey of a man, which I'm not sure how much of a blessing that is. He's going to be a, a difficult man. But when that blessing is over, we see that Hagar calls the angel of Yahweh El Roy, we often say, or El Roi. We want to be fancy in our right pronunciations, um, which is the God who sees me. Or another way of translating it is, you are the God of seeing. And so we see that the angel of Yahweh is called God himself. So we saw this um, with Melchizedek last week, um, that this character is tithed to and gives blessings like God himself. And here we see um, the angel of Yahweh giving blessings and is being called God. And really interesting, we see a character a character who hasn't been you know, held in high regard, uh, Hagar, renaming God as the God who sees. Um, so just a really interesting scenario. Um, but going back to the angel of Yahweh bit, um, a lot of people, when they see the angel of Yahweh, um, they're inclined to think it is another Christophany. So pre-incarnate Christ appearing and a lot of people, including us, are inclined to say that because in the book of John, it says nobody has seen God the Father, including Abraham, including Moses, anyone. So um, if it is Yahweh, but not God the Father, we're kind of left with the 
one person of the Trinity who has bodily form. So we're, we take this to be Jesus coming to Hagar and comforting her. Uh, anything else in this scenario, this situation? I don't think so. I think you covered everything. It is important to note the angel of Yahweh that's going to come up here in just a minute. Also note in verse 16 that Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So that kind of closes that part of the narrative and then opening up into chapter 17, all of a sudden we have some time elapse. So it says when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. So all of a sudden you have a time jump. And keep that in the back of your mind as we read through chapter 17, the fact that Abraham was 99 years old. So the Lord God appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. So he actually appears to him. We don't exactly know how he appears to him. It doesn't, it doesn't say, the text doesn't specify, but it does say that he appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. So he doesn't introduce himself as Yahweh. He introduces himself as God Almighty and says, walk before me and be blameless. Well, before we jump too far, what is that reference back to? Walk before me and be blameless. Well, we saw Enoch walk with God and then he was taken because he was righteous. And so he didn't have to taste death. Then we saw Noah who walked with God as a righteous figure who was saved from the flood. So again, this is tying Abram into these figures who are considered righteous before God, who are doing what God commands. So he, so God says, walk before me and be blameless. So if you walk with me, be blameless. Uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. So it says that I may make a covenant between me and you, and I may multiply you greatly. So now we get back to the topic of the capital T, the blessing. I want to multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So there's the new name, even though we consistently use them interchangeably. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojourns, all the lands of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout the generations, whether born in your house or brought with, bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall your this covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off. Is the pun intended there? From his people. He has broken my covenant. 
Okay, so in this section, then, we have God appearing to Abram and making a covenant. But we already saw a covenant in chapter 15. Corey, is this the same covenant? No, we have a totally different covenant being made here. Remember, the last covenant, God had Abram get these animals, split them in half. And in the recap, Dylan mentioned God like knocked out Abram and only God made the passing through the animal carcasses, meaning God was the only one who made the covenant. He's making it with himself to simply bless Abram. And so now in the blessing, like Dylan said, God's like, uh, once again, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you um, not just a blessing to all nations, but I'm going to make you into a multitude of nations. Hence the name change from Abram, from exalted father to Abraham, father of a multitude, because he's going to have multiple nations come from him. So it's not just Israel that comes from Abraham? And is that correct? Not just Israel. We're going to see a lot of different nations come from Abraham, although a lot of the nations that come from him aren't necessarily good in the story of Israel to come. But nonetheless, there's going to be many nations coming from Abraham's seed, and from his line, many kings will come from him. So all of a sudden, he's going from having no children, well, I guess he has one kind of illegitimate child, um, to being promised, listen, I'm going to make you a multitude of nations, but here's the covenant I want to make with you. Although you're going to have many nations coming for you, I'm going to have one nation, if people want to be part of this blessed nation of you, they have to follow this covenant. And that is the covenant of circumcision, which on the eighth day, every male must be circumcised. Right. And so really interesting in this promise of, hey, Abram, I'm going to give you offspring. And so God uses the sign of circumcision, which is very closely related to offspring. And he uses this um, as a sign, well, if anyone wants to be what will be the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they will go through this sign. That is them being a part of this covenant. Anyone who does not get circumcised will, yes, I believe, pun intended, Dylan, will be cut off from the people. All right. So we have two covenants then, like Corey pointed out. We have the covenant in chapter 15, where, like Corey said, God makes the covenant with himself. It is an unconditional covenant. We used that term last week. Now, in this covenant, all of a sudden, you get what's known as a, surprise, surprise, conditional covenant, meaning that God is making a covenant with conditions that are actually being put upon the human agent, in this case, through circumcision. So if you are circumcised, then you are in accordance with the covenant, provided that your goal is to keep this covenant. And if you are wishing to keep the covenant, but you're not circumcised, you're cut off. You cannot be a part of this covenant without fulfilling this one stipulation. And it is the sign of the covenant. Now, this is going to be huge theologically as we move through the text. Keep that in the back of your mind that circumcision, at least for now, is the sign of the covenant. 
So let's keep moving on into verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Kings of people. Is that good English? Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Hmm. Abraham laughed. Well, that seems a bit odd. So this figure who is already shown to be the picture of faith, he believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness, laughs. Corey, what do you think of that? It's interesting, (laughs) but telling of what's to come, right? So we see him laugh, Sahak, which will be what his son's name is called, Yitzhak, right? So it does, however, besides showing um, a little foreshadow of what's to come of this blessing, it's really a lack of faith. Right, we see um, Abraham constantly being communicated to, like with the God who's blessing him, making covenants with him, and yet in the face of these blessings, these covenants, Abraham can't help but lack faith. I mean, every time God makes a great blessing to him or covenant with him, he blows it. Right from chapter twelve. The blessing comes out. He lies to to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Chapter 15, great promise, great great covenant. Chapter 16, he blows it when listening to his wife and doing another fall experience um, in taking Hagar as um, someone to sleep with and have a son by, trying to fulfill the promise himself. And now God says, hey, here's the way I'm going to fulfill the promise now. And Abram again distrusts, but this time he just laughs at God. Yeah, and this is going to be actually a consistent theme over the next few chapters that we're going to be noticing is oftentimes characters are going to be described as laughing, where the author is actually using this as an ironic reversal of sorts between God's power and his blessing and promise on the one hand and humans faith and or lack of faith on the other hand. So even with Abram or Abraham, the most faithful character up until this point, the character who believes God and has it credited to him as righteousness, laughs. So he has faith, but the faith is still not such that it actually conforms to the power that God is actually possessing and is going to then pour out through the blessing and actually giving him a son. So he laughs, not necessarily, it's not condemned necessarily, but it does introduce the theme of human's frailty over and against God's power in bringing the blessing. So moving on into verse 18. So shall Sarah, who is nine years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring. 
after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of the foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with them. Awesome. Corey, what's going on? Yeah, so we see Abraham at least following through with what's easy, what's in his control. God says, get circumcised. So he gets circumcised, him and everyone in his house, just as God says. Yeah, he does. And also, interestingly, a little aside, if you note at the beginning of chapter 17, where I told you to pay attention to the fact that it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, well, if you look at the very end of chapter 17, then it says in verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old. And he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh and his foreskin. This is what is known as an inclusio. So a few episodes back, we talked when we were talking about Noah about a chiasm. Well, this is another form of structure or literary structure that the author actually adds to the text in order to accomplish a particular task. So an inclusio often happens when at the beginning of something, you have it say one thing, like in a psalm, for example, it'll say, praise the Lord. And then you read through the psalm, and then at the end, praise the Lord. If you see that inclusio, the praise the Lord at the beginning, the praise the Lord at the end, it's telling you that this is meant to be read as a whole. So here, it is beginning the narrative as Abraham was 99 years old, read through the narrative, and then punctuating the end of the narrative, and Abraham was 99 years old. Just a simple aside, it's kind of interesting when you start to pick up on a lot of the structure that the authors include in the text. Remember that authors utilize the structure and their word choicing and the way that they tell the story so as to bring meaning to the story. So the authors actually do this intentionally. It's something that we are supposed to actually look for and pay attention to as the readers so that we're actually able to accurately ascertain the meaning of the text. Absolutely. Want to um, move on? Yeah, let's move on. And so we get into now chapter 18. We have seen Abraham and his son and his house get circumcised. And here we have Yahweh appearing to Abram by the oaks of Mamre. We've seen this place before. And so verse 2, it says, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. So you have, since you have come to your servant, 
So they said, do as you have said. And Abram went quickly into the tent and Sarah said, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf and he prepared it and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And we see them then go into another conversation about the promised son to come. And so as this conversation is happening, we have Sarah doing work, preparing bread for them, but she's listening in on the conversation. And Yahweh says in verse 10, I'm going to return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So finally, Abraham is still 99 at this point. Next year, it's going to happen. And by the way that Abram or Abraham has already reacted a couple times, what do we think Sarah's going to do? Sarah herself laughs. She's thinking, after I'm so old, shall I have a son? And we have this really awkward moment in verse 13 where Yahweh calls out Abraham, well, calls out his wife to Abraham saying, why did Sarah laugh and say this thing she said? Is it too hard for Yahweh to do this? And Sarah shows that she's kind of peeking into the conversation, speaks up, I didn't laugh. But Yahweh says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> so just a really weird and awkward situation. But again, we still have God's promise, but Sarah and Abraham unwilling to believe in the promised blessing that Yahweh is trying to give them, right? And again, we have one of these men being referred to as Yahweh. Anything else before we moved on, Dylan? I don't think so. Let's go ahead and keep rolling and jump over to verse 22 and talk about Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it says that right before that, the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, their sin is very grave. I'll go down and see whether they have done uh, according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. And so basically you get it set up that the Lord's going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and potentially destroy it. And so Abraham then comes and goes, oh, well, hold on just a second, Lord. What about... You know, if if there's some some righteous people down there, what if you you know you what if there's fifty righteous people, and the Lord goes, okay, fine. If there's fifty righteous people, I will spare the city. And he goes, okay, well, fantastic. But but what happens if there's only forty five? Will you spare it for forty five? And the Lord says, yes, of course, I'll I'll spare it for forty five. And and then so this exchange goes all the way down to you know ten. Hey, Lord, if if there's ten righteous people. Will you spare the city? And the Lord goes, yes, I will spare the city for 10 righteous people. So you get this picture of Abraham being the intercessor then for the righteous in the city, which is going to be coming up in just a second, as we see in chapter 19, God's actions in rescuing Lot. So he says, uh, I'm going to go down there, going to judge the city. Abraham says, don't do it if there's 10 people. The Lord says, even if there's 10 people, I won't destroy it. Then the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, 
and Abraham returned to his place. So kind of the end of that section of narrative, Abraham comes out of his place, meets with Yahweh and these two angels, and then intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, goes back into his place. Okay, now jumping into 19, let's see the outworking of that intercession. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So we get a good picture of God trying to show us, well, I'm going to go to the city and see if this city really is as wicked as I have heard, which is already kind of odd and kind of funny. God knows already, right? But he says, let's let's go pay a visit and let's really see. It's kind of just inviting us into the story. Well, how bad could it be? Um, Okay, so the angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah, or I guess Sodom, and all of the men want to do this heinous act to the two angels. And so we can judge pretty quickly. Yeah, I think uh, they're evil. I think if this is um, what the author is trying to show us of what the city is like, then yeah, they stand in judgment. Um, It's kind of funny looking back to Abraham bargaining with the Lord for the righteous sake, like Dylan was saying. I often like to joke around like, why didn't Abraham, like it was going well, why didn't he go down to there that's at least one righteous person? But what that is trying to show us is that no matter how like low of a number you can think, the righteous aren't in the city. That is how wicked it is. And when you come to the story, it's like, oh, yeah, surely there's not 10. Surely there's not even one righteous person in the city. That's how awful and evil it is. And we're actually going to see a story just like this um, in a few books from now. Um, you guys, I encourage you to try and find that hyperlink. We're not going to give it to you until we get there. Um, but I stopped off in verse 12, and it says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against it, its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Um, that Hebrew word for jesting is the exact same word for laugh, sahak. So again, we have people laughing at God's this time warning or God's promise. Um, everyone's just laughing at God's word. Okay, so anyways, um, as the story goes on, this is kind of the famous part that we're all used to. Um, as the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, go take what's left of your family, since your soon-to-be sons-in-laws won't listen. Go escape for your life and do not look back, right? Don't try and stop anywhere. Just go straight ahead. And so Lot um, is about to go. And even then, he's still kind of buying his time, saying, I can't get that far. Um, just let me go to this one place named Zoar. So the angels say, okay, fine. Um, go to Zoar. We won't let that place be overthrown. And so he's on his way out of the city him and his wife and his daughters. And as they're running, classic Sunday school story, his wife looks back and she became a pillar of salt as all of Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed in an epic scene of fire and brimstone. Um, anything um, important that we should take out of this story, Dylan? Yeah, I think there are a few things that are interesting. First off, like, Quite pointed out, there's the idea of the sons laughing, the sons-in-law laughing. So again, we get that connection. And then another thematic element that is uh, interesting to point out that we'll see later in verse 23, it says, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And so the idea of the sun rising is going to be a narrative cue that we'll see often employed to denote the Lord's salvation of someone from darkness, sin, or chaos. And so that's just a little aside. Also, the idea of Lot going to Zoar and Zoar being saved and spared, it, it seems to be that the author kind of included that little aside so as to rectify the narrative with above where Abraham is bargaining with God and saying, hey, God, if you, you, know, if you have 10 people there that are righteous, are you going to spare it? Well, yeah, so he spares Zoar, but Sodom, there isn't any righteous, like Corey said, takes Lot out of it. And not because Lot is necessarily righteous in his own right. As we saw from the very beginning, Lot wasn't supposed to be here in the first place if Abraham would have done what he was told. And so Lot has been nothing but a consistent pain in the side so far to Abraham. And so this is basically because of Abraham's intercession, Lot and Zoar are spared. But Sodom is still going to reap exactly what it is. So Lot flees to Zoar and we're going, okay, well, Lot, you know, maybe he's a righteous character. After all, you know, he grabbed those, those guys and didn't let the men of the city have sex with them. So that's got to count for something, right? And you go, okay, yeah, maybe. But then immediately, in a super ironic reversal, we have verse 30, where Lot for any good that we might have attributed to him for the actions above, absolutely blows it. So let's go ahead and quickly read through 
that section. It says, now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live near Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. Uh, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, last night I lay with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The first bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Any righteousness that Lot may or may not have accrued from his saving of the angels instantly gets called into question at this point, where when Lot offers his daughters to the men in exchange for the angels, ironic reversal now is that Lot ends up being the one to actually have sex with the daughters that he offered to the men to have sex. That's just absolutely wild. And not only that, through this weird incestual relationship, then we get two of the worst nations that we're going to come up against, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Yeah, he's uh, absolutely terrible. Again, from the beginning, we kind of thought, this guy doesn't belong here. And at the end, it's like, yeah, he's the worst um even the names of his sons moab um so of kind of like um the beginning of abraham's name of raham so of his father so moab literally means of father right i mean just terrible and then ben emi son of my people so the names of the children are names of incest and again, these nations are going to be thorns in the sides of Israel throughout their time as a nation through the rest of Scripture. And so we end on a pretty bad note. We see out of this story, though, so besides this aside on Lot, we see Abraham get renamed from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, we even see Hagar name God, which is just really ironic that it would come from her. So she renames God Elroy, the God who sees me. So in this section of um, renaming of covenants and blessing, we see that very clearly Abraham is not the guy. He blows it again, but yet his righteousness. Um, although he laughs at God when God makes promises to him, um, because of his righteousness, he's able to have a conversation with God. He's able to like have this hostage negotiation um, intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, God, don't destroy them if there's this many righteous people. And God is willing to listen to his people. It just shows us a whole lot about God shows us a whole lot about our role as his followers and the ways in which we're able to pray and talk with him. Um, we see that God is understanding. We see that God desires us 
to talk with them, even though it might not change the outcome, which this time it didn't. Um, we see that God desired it the whole time. E- even before that interaction, as God is waiting on Abraham with the two other guys, he says, should I tell Abraham about my plan to destroy the city? Kind of giving us a little forewarning that he is, and he's hesitant to do it because he knows that Abraham is going to have something to say about it. And he's inviting Abraham into this space to talk and intercede and pray with him on behalf of others. Um, And so in that we see God does the just thing, but God always invites his people into a relationship, into having a conversation about it, um, which is a really cool takeaway from a really messed up situation. And interestingly, remember that this is an abnormality for someone to actually be meeting with God, for someone to actually have conversation with God. And if we look back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we know that the ideal state is one in which the humans are able to actually have conversation with God. They're able to walk with God in the garden, and they're actually able to commune with God face-to-face and eat of his divine life at the point of the fall, at which point humans decide to choose their wisdom over God's wisdom, you all of a sudden get that split where that is not going to happen any longer. The humans lose access to the tree of life. As a matter of fact, it's actually being guarded such that they have no more access to it and couldn't get there if they wanted to. And so consistently then throughout the narrative, you're constantly asking yourself, how is this going to be rectified? And so you constantly have these characters popping up like we're talking about asking, okay, is this character the guy? Because God promises a guy that's going to come and help rectify this situation in Genesis chapter three. And so you're asking, is this guy, is this going to be the guy that inaugurates this new Eden where the ideal state is once again brought? such that humans have access once again to God. And so Abraham, you have the promise that he's going to be a great nation. You you have the capital T blessing that he's going to have heirs through which the promised seed is going to come. And so you see that kings are going to come from this guy. You see that uh, that there's going to be a bunch of nations and the prom or the excuse me, the blessed nation is going to come from this guy. And so now you're tracking and going, okay, maybe we're getting close. And not only that, you get this guy actually talking face to face with God. It's actually still possible. And it's going to be something that we're still looking for to come in its fullness for all of humanity. So that's kind of going to be the cliffhanger that we're left with looking for that guy looking for, how is this actually going to turn back to this ideal state? How's this going to be rectified? So That's the major conflict that we're going to see throughout the text. We're going to go ahead and wrap up there. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the Scripture Chronicles podcast today. If you guys enjoy the show, please go on to iTunes or onto Apple Podcasts and toss a review up there. It really does help the show's visibility. Also, don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, We do have a website. The website is www.thebibleisastory.com. On there, you can download the podcast, but also you can access resources, blog posts, things like that. Corey has a blog post up on blessing. I got a blog post up on 
reading the Bible as a book. Check that out. There's more to come there. Also, if you want to chat, please do. We are very lonely. The email address is scripturechronicles at gmail.com. Even if you just want to say hi. But if you do have a question, that would be the place to leave it. We are going to be doing a Q&A session in the future. So if you guys would like to drop a question on there or even record yourself asking the question, we'd love to air it on the show. With that, we're going to go ahead and close the episode there. Again, guys, thank you so much and adios. Adios.